0: Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello, and welcome to the show tonight. I'm so excited for this episode. The topic tonight is the Book of Freedom, and our guest is Paul Selig. We're going to have Paul on in just a minute. Actually, this show was recorded earlier because of a conflict of schedules, but the episode will air in its entirety in just a few minutes. The the notion of awakening... um, what I really like about Paul's material is the 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 clarity of the language and the the direction it's taking us. Um, we've had uh, channelers on the show many times before, and um, everyone has a kind of a unique approach and a unique style. But if you if you think about the nature of who we are as personas, as souls incarnate, if you will, but if we even take it maybe even a step back from even being a soul, we're, we're the substance itself, we're the creator incarnate. And we had to kind of disconnect from the truth of who we are, the, the, the deeper truth of who we are, and we had to um, separate from our truth, our power, our inherent um, power or dominion, if you will. And I think all teachings of, quote, saviors is the unraveling of our, of our um, confusion or disconnection from the truth of who we are, and and Paul's material is certainly right up in that same category. Um, it's great having Paul back on the show. Um, the conversation was such a delight. I think we should get right to it. Um, Paul is the author of the book of Freedom, the third in a master trilogy series. His previous trilogy of channeled wisdom led to a following around the world for its depth, intimacy, and psychological insight. Likewise, the first two books of the Mastery Trilogy, the Book of Mastery and the Book of Truth, have attained similar popularity and praise. Paul is considered to be one of the foremost spiritual channels working today. In his breakthrough works of channeled literature, I am the word, the book of love and creation, the book of knowing and worth, and the book of mastery. Author and medium Paul Selig has recorded an extraordinary program for personal and planetary evolution, right there, personal and planetary evolution as humankind awakens to its own divine nature. I think it's a good time to get right to it. Let's let's join the episode. Check this out. And welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks for having me. Hey, you know, I was looking, I was reading through the book, um the Book of Freedom, and what a what a powerful text. I mean, it seems like the the message um underlying all of this is is like we're to dissolve the the history or the uh, association we have with pretty much everything that we see. It's like uh, we've all collectively agreed upon uh, the world to be a particular way, and yet so much of it doesn't serve us. Uh, What do you think... uh, this text is taken us to. I mean it talks about a, a true self or a higher octave version of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. do, do you see the text as um, um, preparing us to like evolve our consciousness if you will to a to a higher plane to perhaps bring heaven to earth?
1: Yes, that's exactly where it seems that they're going the book of freedom ends um, with the guides inviting the reader you know across a threshold into a new place, a new place of freedom and um, you know since they completed the book of freedom um, they've completed dictation on their seventh book which is called uh, Beyond the Known Realization and that book actually begins with the invitation to cross the threshold into what they call the upper room and the entire book is a teaching of the upper room or the higher octave. It's about what happens when we sort of break through the collective ceiling that we've all been operating with to realize the aspect of ourselves that the guide say expresses there, exists there. So I guess I didn't explain this but you know I'm a, I'm a conscious channel so I don't write the books I take dictation when I say the guides, they're really the authors of the book. The books themselves are really just the, uh, the transcripts of the recordings of the sessions and uh, the book of freedom and the book that followed and I think even the book before that were all dictated publicly in front of students over the course of a series of workshops. So. Yes, they are bringing us to this place of what they call realization of the true self, which they say is who we truly are and I've always been and we've been in collective denial about.
0: Right. Well, I, I kind of, uh, maybe I jumped the gun a little, uh, little quick here, but we've had you on the show before and um, – I think uh, some of the context of, of your background has, has been established, but I don't, I don't want to um, turn a, a blind eye to that. Um, so you're, you're talking about these books as being channeled. Um, how, would, how would you describe the uh, entity, if you will? Is it a single persona or a collective? They use we.
1: I experience it as both a single entity and a collective. I call them the guides, and I only call them the guides. It's because what my ex used to call them when my ex found out I could do this. So they've landed with that name, and they don't seem to mind it, although occasionally they'll call themselves by a preferred name, um, which is Melchizedek, which is the name I've heard for quite some time. And that's, my understanding is a priesthood, you know, it's a collective as well. Um, There's a being, Melchizedek, perhaps that's who's coming through, but there's, I'm primarily clairaudient, so I'm hearing, and clairsentient, which means I'm feeling. So my experience is of the gradations of, of language and tone with some variance depending on who's coming through. But there's a consistency, and when I read the transcriptions of the texts, there's a unification, the cadence, the word choices for the most part. There are things that are of the group, and then there are sort of smaller singularities that appear that feel a bit more sort of personality-like in the guides. One guide likes says dears, which is a word that I don't like at all, but the guides will say, we would like to tell you dears. And I always get a little anxious when I hear that, but that's the language. And another one speaks in in musical metaphors quite frequently, and one comes through with an accent occasionally that's, you know, somewhere, I suppose, between, you know, British and Scottish. I can't quite place it. So there are differences, but I experience it as a collective.
0: Right. Well, um, We've had uh other channels on this show before um and one of them that we have not is uh Daryl Anken, who channels bashar and there was uh there's a uh statement or a, that Bashar said that said during this conversation, I might answer some of the questions. Mm-hmm. From myself when I was when I was 30 years old, and in this same conversation, some of the sentences might be from when I'm 50 years old. In other words, um, the uh, the temporal timeline is is so much more flexible. When you talk about the different personalities and their their different styles mm-hmm. it, it it makes <laughs> I guess it's a linear mind that wants to pin it down yeah. as to this this who thing and linear doesn't really work in this realm I agree well when you first started doing this how much of a stretch was it for you I mean um, did, did you see this coming if you will in your life path?
1: Not really. I mean, I, um, I you know, I was an academic. I taught at NYU for 25 years, and I ran a graduate program at Goddard in Vermont for about 18 years, you know, concurrent with my work at NYU. So I was an academic, and I had been a playwright, and I was teaching um, writing. Um, but I had studied a form of energy healing in my early 30s and I found that when I had my hands on people's bodies, I began to hear things uh, clairaudiently um, that were accurate, that were proven out by the client and when I, and I started to, to operate as a clairsentient, I started to be able to feel what other people were feeling and, you know, undergoing physically. The clientele I was working with at that time was mostly dealing with serious illness. It was the height of the AIDS epidemic in New York, so I was volunteering at a center that was doing alternative support and once i started sort of realizing that there was availability to a lot of energy that was very palpable and some information i convened a small group in my apartment that met on and off for about 18 years which is where i really did my work and sometimes for four people sometimes for 20 you know but It was very informal, and that's where I began channeling. Um, I didn't like to think of it as channeling, but I started to get information right at the beginning and was very uncomfortable about that because my investment was in a shared experience of the energy that would come through, which was palpable. You couldn't fake it, you know, and I loved being in a room full of people and we were all feeling the same thing. And then when instructions started to come through about how to work with energy, I was challenged by that. But I did it anyway. I showed up for this stuff for many, many years. And it wasn't until, I suppose, about 19, God, 2008 maybe, um, which is maybe 10 years ago now. Sure,
0: yeah.
1: After I quit smoking, and I'd been a heavy smoker for many years, that um, my, my abilities opened up and just sort of skyrocketed. I mean, I had no idea that was going to happen. I probably would have quit years earlier, but it's when it happened, and that's when they began lecturing through me. And, um, and they really haven't stopped. It's, it's ongoing every week. I mean, it's, I can't imagine how many thousands of pages of material they've, they've put through. You know, it's not all in the books. They're lecturing, you know, sure. all the time.
0: Well, so um, is this like a constant contact for you? I mean, at the drop of a hat, you can like yeah, query him? It is at this point it is. Yeah,
1: I mean, actually, it's always been, I suppose, but it, people seem to presume that because I I have access, I'm getting my own needs met at the drop of a hat. And it doesn't really work that way. I mean, my guides are teachers. So I have said that if I ask a question, you know, if I say, "Is this?" I mean, I, I've always said, you know, the guys would let me walk into oncoming traffic <laughs> if I wanted to. You know, <laughs> they're not going to override my free will. But if I say, "Is this a good time to cross the street?" they may well say, "Not wise." And right. it's still up to me. You know, they don't override free will. So, you know, one of the at the very beginning, when I first realized I was accessing accurate information. It's funny I was, you know, I've always been a bit of a slob and I had to go teach at NYU and I was getting dressed and the guide said wear the blue shirt. I just no I said what should I wear today and I heard wear the blue shirt which was the only thing that I had that was sort of pressed and probably didn't have a mustard stain down the front. And that was the day I got called in to talk to my boss and have a meeting. And I was so glad I wore the damn blue shirt. (laughs) It was was made all the difference in the world. So then I realized whenever I asked, I could get an answer. Um, When I'm channeling, it's something very different when I'm doing a book or I'm doing a class or they're going to lecture. I Basically, at that level, it mostly doesn't matter where I'm at, what I'm going through, they're going to talk about what they want to. If I'm having a difficult time myself, they may choose to address the issue that may be causing it but they wouldn't do it in a direct way right so if i'm upset about something they may talk about the root cause of fear or jealousy or shame or whatever's up um... not necessarily as it pertains to me but in a way that will be supportive of my moving through something but for the most part when they're coming they're coming to teach and when i do readings for people they're available as well but in a very different way. They're also there to teach. They're not there to tell people what to do, right. about how they work.
0: Yeah, they won't uh, advise you directly about the problem or issue from you, in other words, to deflate the, the power of the lesson, but they'll talk of the context of the lesson. Well,
1: it? I suppose if I were to say, you know, why can't I stay on my diet if I really wanted to hear that, They might probably. They probably would tell me. I'd probably get the answer. Um, And I suppose that would be true for somebody who came to me. But when people come to me and they say, "Do your guides think I should move to Wisconsin or to, you know, Albuquerque?" It's. I don't think they care. Right. I don't think they care what we do for a living. I don't know if they care. You know, I think their agendas for us are much more about our own realization and how we choose to have experiences here i mean the ongoing support that i get from them ongoing and uh, direction is about not making choices based in fear right and they're always there for that if i'm about to make if i go is this a good thing to do and it's a fear-based choice i'll hear about it um because the guides say you know the action of fear is to claim more fear and every choice you make in fear gets you more of the same. So I do get counsel, but, you know, I ain't going to get the lucky numbers. It hasn't happened yet, and I don't expect to. That's just not what they're about, and it's not what their agenda is for me or or for the students of their work.
0: Right. Well, it's funny because while you were talking, it, it reminded me of an episode um – I work up in the mountains of Colorado, and it can have pretty steep inclines. And there was a winter storm, and the roads were very icy. This is hard, black ice. And I could drive the long way, which was a much more gentle incline, or I could go up over a hill, which was a shortcut. And I asked, I said, hey, is it okay if I go up and over? And it was the tone of their voice. They go, Yes. And I'm like, well, okay, I'll take that as a yes. And I, and long story short, I'm stopped on the hill because all these cars had slid off the road. And a guy waves me on, and I just take my foot off the brake. I'm going one mile an hour. And another car comes into the scene, and I press the brakes. And I start sliding, but it all turned out okay. So I I, I just appreciate the uh, <laughs> the legend. When you said they'll let me walk across a busy street, um, it just it just uh, struck a, a funny bone in me. I really like that. Well, the um, so you talk about uh, making a choice in fear, and it seems like when we repetitively choose fear, we're setting up like uh, maybe the word is lineage or a, an incremental momentum. Of that fear-based thinking, mm-hmm. so to be able to to um, recognize the pattern of fear, and then break out of it would would um, how, how do you how do you find the the language the sentencing that's not in fear, if so much of your consciousness has been habitually, repetitively choosing fear.
1: Well I think that's what they're teaching, you know, I mean they say that the True Self or the Divine Self, they use all these different names, Eternal Self, Christ Itself, that aspect of you that is the Divine Spark or the Monad or whatever you want to call it, That they say that part of you is not in alignment to fear and never has been, it's the Eternal Self, that's the Christ within, whatever you want to call it. So the realization of that aspect of you is actually what lifts you beyond the structure of fear, or beyond the agreements to fear. So the small self of the personality structure, as, as you said at the beginning, basically is operating in a museum. You know, everything that we see was named by somebody who came before us. All right. And the rules of the world are inherited. And these are inherited structures that the collective... The guides say replicates and recreates because we expect to see it. So the guides have said, you know, we're always dining out on yesterday's leftovers because that's what we expect to get. Now, the true self isn't invested in the known. It doesn't care. It doesn't have, it doesn't believe, I suspect, that you're supposed to go to a good school and marry this kind of person and make that much money. I mean, these are cultural Structures that people and we buy into and we go into accord with and we look at a world to affirm them, you know, or to affirm that they're not true and we're still in reaction to them. The idea of sort of lifting above and beyond that is really what they're taking. And that is what happens when you, according to them, go to this sort of higher octave of expression. So the true self, they say, expresses in what they call the kingdom. And they call the kingdom the awareness of the divine in all manifestation. You know, that's it. And the the true self is a citizen of the kingdom. The small self isn't. The small self is doing the best it can with the information that it has. And it's not a bad thing. It just thinks it's the king of the kingdom when in fact it's
0: not. Right. And
1: that seems to be the transition that they're supporting us through
0: well so um uh, you talk about seeing uh uh the higher self or the true self, seeing the divinity of all that is, and uh and in in this paradigm, in this uh, dimension, if you will, our egos can, uh, as you say, replicate the story of the museum, replicate the the mental baton, the belief system baton yeah. from our ancestors when because um, as I read the book, I was contemplating the idea of what would life look like if the symbols didn't have any um, history. If if the yeah. the meaning of a job or a marriage, if it was all inert or indifferent, mm-hmm. um, how does consciousness personified? How does it um, um, seek fulfillment or seek expression? Um, I was trying to put a, some kind of a context to that to I, under- I
1: sort of understand what you're saying, and it's only you know only because I was copy editing and you know proofing the the newest book. This morning, but I suspect because they did talk about this and they do talk about this a fair amount in there. Because what we are doing in some ways, they talk about lifting things to the upper room, we lift what we see. You see, what ends up happening, they say, is that we begin operating as the expression of the divine that we already are, but that the vibratory feel that we hold at this level of oscillation, for lack of a better word calls into agreement that which it encounters. It gets kind of trippy here, but I understand it because I've had the experience of it when, you know, we do these groups and there's a hundred people and we can all feel it in the room. The energy just shifts profoundly in a way that we can all experience. So they say that the consciousness that you hold is actually informing matter and that how you hold anything in accord or in vibratory agreement is informing that so when you're operating in the higher stratum the higher vibrational field you're actually lifting what you see to you but you can't lift it if you're attaching tremendous meaning to it right so if i call say that terrible woman i'm not going to lift her to the higher vibration i can't because i've announced her as terrible and by that announcement, I've already lowered my vibration right down to the basement anyway. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. My judgment. So the idea is to realize the inherent divine that is there, which is done in love and in awareness. So I suspect what you're seeing is love. Now, the idea of narrative and attachment, I suspect, is a whole other thing that they haven't gotten deeply into. Um... So if I want to say, if I want to be, you know, attached to anything, you know, what does that really mean? And if I'm attached to something at the cost of of the realization of it as of source, which seems to be the only requirement here. I mean, the gods are really specific. They say, you know, you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. And they say, what you damn, damns you back. And so anything that I'm attaching to or deciding should be separate from source in a positive way or a negative way is probably going to hinder me in my realization. And that isn't to say that we don't love people and we don't have families. I don't think this thing happens at the exclusion of personality at all. I think it actually is a realization of who we are beyond that. You know, so it's, I mean, the guy said this way early in the, in their lecturing five years ago maybe, they were doing a group and there was somebody in the group I think who, who was sort of think assuming that this was a teaching of of being made special in some right. ways, you know? And the guides came right out and they said, you know, you don't become the Christ, the Christ becomes you And there's a whole paradigm there, if you think about it. It's not about the deification of the personality or the small self, it's about the realization of the inherent divine that's always present. And that's who isn't carrying this baggage. You know what I mean?
0: Sure, yeah. How
1: this thing happens, it's actually alchemical as far as I understand it. I mean, I'm still sort of living with the teachings that have come through me. There are people that are working with them much more intently because they have sort of the ability to, because it didn't come through them, they can be... A little bit more objective to the material and put it into practice um, in, in very demonstrable ways.
0: Right. Well, um, um, you mentioned the the idea that higher tier that that higher consciousness, the true self, that the the uh, the interaction, if you will, with substance with matter was perhaps a little more pliable and and there's so much language in the book of freedom about unraveling ourselves unraveling our um belief systems our stigmas if you will that we've we've carried from our past because that's what we were taught so i like to like fast forward things and say okay so we're unraveling our belief system we're unraveling our projection of status and and structure so if the ego fast-forwards through that and unravels all the symbol tables and the associated um, analogies that have been derived over time, and and let's say the ego becomes empty, imagine that, it, it, in, in order to come into accord, I think the book used that word, or into alignment with the true self, the ego doesn't, it seems like the ego wouldn't need to have a construct of any type or form in that the true self, just by being, and our egos really suck at, at uh, assigning a symbol table to nothingness, to nothing. Um, the The empty ego, perhaps, is how we untether our true self, if you will. Where the ego doesn't project the lower vibration and is able to co- uh, co-create or coexist with the high vibration of the true self, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does make sense. I mean, I've I've had you know they've never talked about emptying the self of the ego or the ego becoming empty, but they don't use the term ego very often. They've talked about personality as a structure, and they tend to talk about personality as is something that's accumulated through experience and data and cultural mores and the dictates of the time that you happen to be born in, you know, and these things that we sort of appropriate and believe to be ourselves. When they talk about the small self, you know, I mean, they have talked about it in a number of ways and, and what happens to it through this passage, but one of the things that I've heard again and again is that the small self is actually assumed by the true self. They speak to it as, as an assumption of, of that aspect of self. And they talk about the will, and they talk about the will as being braided. The small self's will and the true self's will, or the divine will, becoming one. You know, And that's the idea of, I mean, I suppose if you look to the idea of, you know, thy will, not mine be done, there's still an idea of separation. You know, And right. what they're talking about is the entwining of this, so it becomes one will. Um, and one expression—it's very much a teaching of being. You know, the claim that they make in the book, "I know how I serve," is a few. I mean, they, they unpack the claims: "I know who I am," "I know what I am," "I know how I serve." In in this book and the one that follows it, but the claim "I know how I serve" is actually the teaching of expression. You know, it's how you serve is how you're most fully expressed as the true self. In our culture, we tend to think that that means it's what we do for a living, or the good works or, you know, the spiritual study or how we help others, you know. And we tend to think in practical terms that way. But the guides are actually saying how you serve is how you're you're expressed vibrationally. And then if you're called to act, you will act in accordance with that. So it's not about seeking out stuff to do, it's about realizing who you are at that level. And that aspect of self is what moves you forward but also is what is impacting the reality you hold. You know, the guides talk about these claims. I know who I am, I know what I am, I know how I serve, I am free, I am free, I am free. They're all energetic attunements. But they talk about them as if as they're, they're, they're notes in a chord. And when all of those notes are realized at once, there's a there's another claim that they work with, which is the claim, I have come, I have come, I have come, which they say is the manifest self in in expression. And that's a trip when you feel that one. I mean, the first time, and they did a whole book, the book that follows Book of Freedom is all about that. And this whole time they were talking about I have come, I was thinking this is getting crazy for me. I don't know if (laughs) I'm even hearing this right. And then I was doing a workshop in um, Houston. This is just a couple of months ago. And there was an older man in the back row who'd been quiet the whole workshop, and he shared, and he said, you know, I, my kids gave me these books, and I'm now sort of having a hard time with the church that I was going to, and I've left, and I don't have community. It was a really interesting and, and touching story, and he was a very humble man. And the, they, the guides actually had him stand up, and make the claim, I have come, I have come, I have come, which is the claim they had been teaching. And the whole room felt it. It was sheets of energy coming off this man. It was unlike anything I'd ever really felt. And it was the divine as him in 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 expression. Right. You know, and they say that's the energy that's transforming matter. That's what's actually being that's what's lifting what it encounters to to the higher octave, it was extraordinary to to experience. So I even forgot what your original question was. I went <laughs> off in a tangent.
0: <laughs> tangents are fine. I find tangents can be as informative as intention thought it was. Uh, no problem. So, um, you talk about being in a room with people, and then this this vibration, this high vibration comes into the room to the point where it's perhaps palatable. I don't want to put words in your mouth yeah. and then, in the book the the guides uh give this notion of the moment you're reading these words we are with we are with you now, kind of like a um Uh, I guess to a linear mind it would seem surreal that a book written uh, some amount of time ago would have had its episode of consciousness, if you will. But the guides kind of suggest that as you're reading it, they are there with you now as you read it in Mm -hmm. seemingly the future um what, what's their um cuz they talk about the, that they're there to uh shepherd us in this journey yeah um w- what is their role and what is kind of like their boundary of what uh their interaction with us as a reader is
1: well i mean i can I, I i first of all i don't think that they override free will i'd be shocked if they did they say that they don't and if you want to throw the book across the room and call it a bunch of crap, that's perfectly fine with them. You know, they don't really have those kinds of agendas. They said in the very first book, which was I Am The Word, that the book was operating on two levels. there are the words on the page, which sort of offer an intellectual experience for the reader an understanding of, of the content, but that the real book was the energy that was informing the book. And um, that that would be experienced, and it was interesting because there was no publicity on the first book, and you know, it just was people just sort of defined it, and these reviews started showing up on Amazon, and people were saying, you know, I'm reading this book and my body's vibrating. I'm reading the book and I'm seeing auras. So there's always been phenomena attached to the book. A couple of books ago, the guide said something to the effect of. You know, we we're, we operate outside of time, as you understand it. So if you're having questions about the teaching as you're reading the book, ask the questions and we'll answer them in the book because we're with you as you're reading the book and also with Paul as the dictation is happening. And then people started saying, you know, I asked a question on the next page. The question was answered again and again and again and again. And again. Now, it sounds hokey and magical, but I think... My understanding of it is, is that the language that they work with is encoded um, with vibration. The attunements are present, you know, whenever you work with them, and they work outside of time. You don't need to be with me or with the guides to do them. Once you've been attuned and you use the language they work with, most people are able to feel the energy quite immediately, and it is, you know, palpable stuff. It's experiential. So what are their boundaries in working with us? My understanding is that they're there as sort of mentors or sponsors to us through this. I don't get that they're operating as people's personal guides. I know that because they've said they're not teaching this material through others because they're creating a canon of work that they want to have hold its integrity, but that they are sort of supporting others in their their work with the teachings. And that's Supposedly, what continues to happen, and at that level, I just have to say, okay, that's you know, that's what they say. Um, in the newest book, you know, they're actually toning now. They're talking at times about the limitations of language and the meaning that language has been given, as sort of. Uh, being reductive
0: you know. right yes
1: and so they've moved to sound at times and when they started toning in the dictation for the book i was like what the hell is this going to feel like you know i mean literally the book says the guides tone through paul you know and the first time when i when i got the manuscript back and i read it the first time i actually felt it and i felt the waves of the energy of the group And the guys explained it when they were dictating it. said, you know, this moment that we're operating in is always present. Right. And all you're doing is tuning into this moment that we operate in, and it's going to be present. You're going to have the experience of it. I mean, they say it's true with any work of art. You know, the consciousness of the artist and the energy that inform the art is present in the encounter with the witness of the art. I think they're just working with it a lot more overtly.
0: Sure, well, there's the notion that all nows are right now that that all nows yeah. are simultaneous, so I agree it's not um, <laughs> but but <laughs> if if you're new to this stuff, some of these concepts can seem um, a little bit off on the deep end. Um, so your guides say that <clears throat> um, humanity uh, at this time of reckoning, um um that we're at a, a a challenging time well i don't know if challenging's the word i don't want to put words in their mouth but that we're at a time of reckoning i mean how do how do they see the these uh, um our present time these these next few years or decade or whatever as a time of reckoning what's the what's the paradigm on on the, on the we did it or we didn't side of things?
1: I don't know that it works that way. Um, I don't know that it's a pass-fail kind of thing. I really don't. I haven't heard that. I hear we have choice. Um, I You know, we always have choice. I don't think anything at this level is predetermined, but they have said that, you know, they wouldn't be coming to teach if we weren't we're going to be around to, receive, to, to work with the teaching right you know, they and they don't channel a lot on on current events but it's funny because i was was i was proofing the new manuscript i actually put up on facebook a quote from the newest book that was speaking directly to the times and i i would have to go to the computer and find the passage and read it to you which i i can do if you want but if i were to paraphrase and i think some of what they were saying was you know the structures that we're seeing now that are failing not all of them are meant to recover right and that basically everything and the guys have said this you know they say a reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations and everything created in fear needs to be recreated at a higher level so they're saying even if there are institutions and structures and this would include government and governments religion you know financial institutions, the whole thing, even if they started out meaning one thing and became sort of infused with fear or politics, they may need to be recreated. So this is an opportunity at this time. It's just not going to be comfortable to the aspect of the self that wants to fix and repair. I mean, the guides have always said, you know, they don't fix anybody. It's not about fixing. It's about transformation. And the opportunity now is for great change. You know, a couple of days, two or three days before the last presidential election, I was channeling, in I think it was Richmond, Virginia. And um, there was a there's a recording of the channeling from that day. It's up online, but they called it great change. And this is before we knew the results of the election. You know, and things were expected to go. You know, I'm a New Yorker. Everything was expected to go differently, and the teaching was really interesting and they said you know your idea of choice is i'll have the milk or the cream in my coffee and what you're about to experience is what happens when the table holding the milk and the cream are knocked over right everything is different and that's really what we're in for and i think it's the beginning i don't think it's over and i don't know personally and they haven't talked about this so this is just my opinion if we're going to go, if we're going to see sort of a restoration of the known, we may be in for a ride towards something quite different than we've known. I don't know how that looks, and they haven't talked about it, so that's just me and a guess.
0: Sure. Well, the, I mean, the sense I get is um, I think a lot of people that are born now, that are living now, have kind of a life purpose or a soul intention of Of bringing a new paradigm into our human yep. construct um yep. be it education finance um government, or whatever where these um a lot of the newer generations don't have an emotional connection to the past at all yep and 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 that that freaks out some of the old timers because they want to see you a know. continuity of lineage, if you will, but I think that um the it's our, we have free will as human beings as uh, small self large self um, people are going to get inspired for new paradigms about education new paradigms about agriculture and everything's free will if we choose to break out of the the patterning of fear and we can move into that space of perhaps love that, um our own inspiration will will be the seeds of the new paradigms of the new cultures of the of the new sustainability if you will of how we live our life to give us what your book talks about freedom we are free we are free we are free kind of thing
1: i agree with you you know, I see it happening now, too. I mean, I'm I'm in my mid-50s, and I get attached to, you know, well, I can't say attached to history, but attached to, you know, the way I have known things and how I've known things to operate. And I think while there's, you know, merit to sort of honoring Albany age or understanding it, we can't be bound by that, you know, if things are going to change, and I think they have to change. I think we're seeing that, and I don't think it's going to stop. I really don't. I have great hope, you know. It's funny. I've been doing, you know, these workshops for a bit, I mean, I suppose since the first book came out, and you know, publicly I've been doing them since maybe 2011 or so. And I'm seeing more and more young people showing up at these things, which is really extraordinarily exciting for me. You know, like there's a 17-year-old kid that raised his hand in a workshop on Saturday and was asking if if God was just another idea. You know, and it was, I mean, it was actually so wonderful (laughs) to hear that. Right, and to hear that level of consideration, you know. Right. Um. So I, mean, I, I have hope. I have great hope. You know. I, I taught college for a long time, and I, I loved it because I loved being around all that potential, you know, and all of that possibility. And I, I have faith in, in, in what can come. I really do.
0: Right. Well. Um... I'm just going off your questions here. Um, Uh Do your guys have anything to say to us now?
1: You know, I I can see. I mean, I can see if they want to come through. Would love to. They're saying, actually, would love to. We have have two things to say. You're both very decided. You are both very decided on what you are. On who and what you are, we think the men before us. We're speaking to the two men before us. What we hope for both of you, what we would hope for both of you, as we're there, is a relinquishing of the, of the idea of who you should be, of who you should be to begin an experience, to begin to have an experience, a potential of potential that exists beyond prescription. That exists beyond prescription. This is not talking about this. This is an opportunity to tell you both this. what if what you are. What if who and what you are were far more malleable to thought, were far more malleable to thought than you've been known than you have even known your potential then? Your potential then can in fact be realized, can in fact be realized in a higher way, in a higher way, without effort, without effort through a relinquishing of an idea of an idea of who you should have been, of who you should have been or perhaps who you now are or perhaps who you now are now for the audience hearing these words now for the audience hearing these words we have something else to say we have something else to say you have choice you have choice you have great choice you have great choice to know who and what you are to know who and what you are beyond prescription, beyond prescription, beyond identity as beyond identity as you have known it, as we offer you this, and as we offer you this, we gift you with your potential, we gift you with your potential, the one who may choose the one who may choose may choose outside of the known may choose outside of the known, and that is the gift of the day, and that is the gift of the day and the times you stand in. And the times you stand you will not know the self you will not know the cell through history through history you will know it today you will know it through the day and the moment you stand in and the moment you stand in period the same period
0: well very nice i i thank them for that interaction
1: yeah i was surprised. well i they've never done that before to me in a radio show so. <laughs> they have never done it to the host either so you know, whatever whatever that's worth i'll leave it alone <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that was uh that was delightful um i'm gonna be curious to hear that again on the replay um well that's it, it's intriguing to uh to think that you have that kind of instantaneous connection and uh and to portray it so vividly in these last few moments it just makes me smile what a what a curious thing.
1: It's no different than just switching the dial of a radio. There's another station that's always there, you know.
0: Right. That's
1: it. It's that it's that simple. You know, it's another station, another channel. That's it.
0: Right. Well, you know, it's I've I've had hundreds of interviews on the show and I I look at the language it, it, almost like neuro-linguistic programming. Mm-hmm where where I think you can discern the intent or perhaps the benevolence of a personification by the language that they choose. And benevolent beings don't ever want to make a choice for you. It seems like they, they have just this uh, unyielding love for you. And, you know, unconditional love is such a powerful thing, and yet it won't decide anything for you, so to speak. (laughs) seems like a curious paradigm. Mm -hmm. I agree. So um, how has your life changed over time as you you immerse yourself in these materials book after book?
1: Well, I'm actually so busy taking the dictation, you know. I, I left my academic life about three years ago, and that was challenging for me. It was a choice to do that. Nobody asked me to go. And I had assumed, because I really did care about both of the jobs i have had. And I had them for a long time. I sort of thought I might retire from doing that, you know. And I'm now, in, you know, 57 years old, living a very different life than I imagined. And I'm actually enjoying it. It took a little while to sort of understand that, this could be my life, and it's a great adventure. And I don't understand how I do what I do or how it works or the mechanics of it. Um, and I'm pleased that I'm working with guides who are always teaching to the next idea, so the work isn't static. You know, right. it's always emerging. So my life, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a hermit when I'm at home and on the road. I'm on the road and I'm with a lot, around a lot of people. And, you know, I suspect that the way this is all playing out is the way it needs to. You know, there are days when I, you know, decry a lack of a personal life, you know, that I would say that I would want. But I suppose if I really wanted, I might have it. Right. And this is the work of, of the time. So... I feel privileged, um, and I feel completely flummoxed by the whole thing at the same time. I don't feel like I'm that spiritual, I'm not that illumined, you know. I'm certainly not that special, and I, I, I really refuse people to project that stuff onto me.
0: Right. And what
1: I do, it's just not how I can operate and be effective. I don't need it, and I don't want it, and I don't care about it. But I do care about the integrity of the work and showing up for it in the best way that I can. And I suppose that just keeps me going and will until someday it's something other.
0: Well, I remember in our last interview, um, um, you were very discerning. You were very uh, uh, guarded with um, your your words and your language. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and I think, I think, of, of course, you certainly are. But um, you, you do seem more c- uh, comfortable in this role. Y- you talk about um, maybe this new path could be your life work instead of working at the uh, the, the well, academic yeah, side you know, of you know, things. That, you know,
1: I don't think I'll get hired again. I mean,
0: peddling
1: it's, <laughs> it's all over YouTube. You know, right. some strange place might want me. I'm actually on the Board of Directors at, at Goddard's, the Board of Trustees, where I used to teach, and I'm thrilled about that. I get to, to still have a hand in, you know, higher education, which I care about, at a at a progressive school that I, I believe in. So I'm grateful for that. And, you know, I – but, yeah, this is the road now. This is where I am. And, you know, I'm – I'm of the work and I'm a student of the work as as many others are, you know, I just happen to be the one who's taken the dictation for it.
0: Right, well, you know, I kind of had the same kind of, uh, I don't know if uh, epiphany sounds like it's a decisive action, but when my heart uh, started telling me to write books, I'm like, nah, what? I mean, it didn't seem like a fit to quote who I was, to quote my the museum model of me. And, and yet, fast forward to now, I get such a sense of uh, fulfillment. And it, it's a wonderful thing that I write books. And I had my mind, had my ego perhaps, sit there and double, you know, 2nd uh, guessed every step. It might not have ever happened, and and I imagine that's perhaps um, how some of your engaging of this pre- new life path has been for you.
1: You know, I it doesn't feel the same as you know when I taught a good class in college, or I you know I was doing my own writing and I knew I'd done a good job. Uh, there was a sense of achievement, you know, with that. And I don't feel that with this work. I really feel like my job is to be present for it. When I do the psychic work that I do as part of a workshop and I'm reading people, that's a bit more fun because there's immediate validation for the accuracy of the work and I'm much more present for that. When I'm channeling, I'm really receded. You know, I'm physically involved. My vocabulary is being used, but my consciousness is... Sort of in the second or third or the fifth row, you know, behind the guides, right? And it's an interesting relationship. I mean, it's it's like being a radio. It really is. And so I don't know if the radio takes any any glory in the broadcast. You know, I don't know that it can. You know, it can just try to be a good radio, which is what I do.
0: Well, if you talk about a radio, or, or perhaps we could use the word a channel. Um, do you see any dangers in that, like there's uh, perhaps uh, encountering or tuning into uh, darker energies or personas? And, and what would what advice would you give someone who feels like they're opening up to a channeling opportunity?
1: Well, I mean, there's two things that I tell people to. Well, first of all, just because you're hearing something doesn't necessarily mean that it's from a high source. And I, you know, like my grandma was a nice lady. She was married four or five times. She's on the other side now. That's not necessarily who I want to go to for relationship advice. (laughs) uh, Right. Somebody who might have figured things out a little farther along than maybe she did. So just because somebody has something to say, whenever people come to me and they say, my guys are telling me I'm supposed to do this or that. I get a little nervous because I don't. I think that that's lower-level stuff. Right. You know, my guy told me I have to move to Florida. It's like, hey, wait a minute, you know. And I might hear, and I'm going to be moving next door to a man. They say I'm going to marry, but he doesn't know it yet. I go, oh brother.
0: Right. (laughs) Not
1: the best advice. Don't listen. You know. And it's not that people aren't very well-intentioned. You know. And it's not that you know there there can be ego attached to this, and there can be. You know, wishful thinking. I've done this for a long time, and I think we live in a, a culture right now where people sometimes want to be, I call them instant experts, you know. It's, sure. You know, it's all here at once, and it's, it's God's word. And maybe it is. I'm sure there are people that are innately gifted to flower. But I think learning discernment takes time and is an important part of channeling. So the two things that I say to be watchful for are messages that are fearful, that's always low-level stuff, if people are getting messages that are frightening, um, that tends to be low-level, my experience, energy. And the other thing to be very watchful for is any entity telling you that you're special, because that tends to be appealing to the ego. Right. You know? And that, I think, can be tricky as well. That doesn't mean you don't get to have healthy self-esteem for doing your work, but, you know, there I I think that there are some mazes that we can all go through and get stuck in around some of this stuff. So I say stay in your discernment. You know, my abilities showed up in service to other people, and when people say to me, I really want to be a channel, I often say, why? It's not glamorous. It's never gotten me a date. You know, (laughs) it doesn't doesn't do those things. But it is there of service to others, potentially, if that's the intent. But I don't know. And some of the best psychics I know, and I know some very, very good ones, you know, we call each other for readings. Sure. We're not reading for ourselves. You know, we know better. Right. You know, it's not that I can't get information for myself, but I may want to double-check it with somebody else because I have you know I have an ego still too and I have desires so you know I I think go into it in the light with a high intent and don't be overeager and let yourself be taught through the experience of it but is there a need to be scared no But sure. you know just like if you're you know you don't have to knock on every door in a hotel to find out who's in the room you know it's just not a good idea Right. So, just not every door is a door one needs to open to to learn. You need to go to the highest learning.
0: Right. I like that. Well, so now you do workshops all over the world. I mean, what is perhaps the most extraordinary thing that you've ever encountered in a workshop?
1: There's too many at this point. <laughs> I mean, really, I told you about the guy who, the guy in Texas who had the sheets of energy coming off him. I mean, to be in a room of people and to feel the energy just shift in such palpable ways is always a trip and is always validating, and people who have never felt energy are having these experiences. You know, I don't do it so much anymore. The guys used to go around and, and, and stand in front of each person there and sort of attune them, and my eyes, I'm told, would turn bright blue when I did this, and I, I have hazel eyes. You know, somebody wrote me an email that I didn't know after I said that on a, on another radio. She said, well, you must have been wearing blue. And, in fact, that was why I wear black when I'm working most of the time. So it wasn't something like that. But, I mean, there's a lot of phenomena. And um, I like it. You know, I don't need the drama of it. But I like the fact that people who come to these things get to have their own experience of this stuff.
0: Right. So they don't
1: have to defer to me. And that's the way I
0: prefer it. Right. Wow. Well, you know, an hour can go by pretty fast, and I want to I wanna thank you, Paul, for uh, sharing your time with us for this episode. I've had such a joy and a delight uh, having this conversation with you.
1: I've enjoyed it as well. Thank you for having me.
0: We've been talking with Paul Selig, and the topic tonight has been the Book of Freedom. What a kick. I really enjoyed that episode. Um, You know, we're out of time, but uh, thank you for showing up for yourself and uh, as always, it's my pleasure bringing you episodes like this. Uh, I'm your host, Les Jensen. Until next time, thanks for joining us. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast to bring your soul's inspiration into
1: effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.